and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Well, good morning. We're really glad to have you here this morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Awesome stuff, man. Um, let's see. As I was preparing for this day, I was kind of thinking and reading through this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and um, there's a phrase in here that we'll get to, but it made me want to ask the question, what's the one thing that you would stake your life upon? Like, what's the one thing that you're like, there's, if, I had to, if I had to just sort of like make a stand on one thing, this is what it would be. Um, and so for me, you know, I was thinking about maybe some funny ways to answer that. And before I get on stage, I stake my claim on, I check my zipper before I walk up here. Um, like uh, one, of the, one of the churches, Raphael was telling me the church he worked at, they actually had it on the podium, X, Y, Z. Um, let's see, the, the other one I would stake my claim on is you come to church and you're standing next to somebody who's a hand raiser, you really hope they wore deodorant, right? Um, <laughs> I would stake my claim on my grandma's pecan pie is the best pecan pie you would ever eat. Um, I won't get to have it till we're in heaven because she'll make it there, I, I think. Um, maybe better there. But, um, you know, you just kind of think about maybe that in a funny way. But in a serious way, like, what's the one thing, if you had to, like, build your life around it, what would you build your life around? And as Christians, we understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that thing, right? It is that moment. It is that event. It is the person of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us that we build our lives around. Like that's where we're unshakable. That's where we're immovable. That's where we're steadfast. And we don't want to let anything kind of pull us away from the fact that Jesus literally died on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay for my sins. That God joined us in humanity. He lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross to die in my place and for my sins so that I could be forgiven of all wrongdoing. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Messiah, vindicating him as God and giving me new life. Like, that's it. That's, that's where I stake my claim. I don't know where you would stake yours. You know, maybe, maybe you look at more of like a, a, a truth in some sort of cultural way and you say, you know, I just really would stake my claim on sort of what are the important moments within and beliefs within my culture. Like maybe it's an ideology or something like that. Um, maybe you would stake your claim on your own personal experience and because I've been through these things, I believe this to be the truth. Um, I, I don't know what you would do, but if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't stake our claim on our experiences. We don't stake our claim on our on an ideology. We stake our claim on the person and work of God in Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't done that, I'm gonna invite you to understand why you would do that this morning. If we have done that, then we do celebrate, but we also wanna be people who are unshakable, immovable, seeking the Lord's will in our life and living that out to the best of our ability as we walk with God. And so let me pray with you and uh, join me in this prayer and then we will look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so our Father, we thank you this day as Micah said, we remember this every day, but this day is marked out as special and holy because it commemorates when your son 
Jesus Christ, God in human form. He died on a cross, but he did not stay in the grave. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death and winning for us a victory that we could never win for ourselves. And so because your son Jesus Christ has done that, he is worthy to be worshiped. He is worthy to be followed. He is worthy for us to build our lives around who he is and what he has done. And so uh, we celebrate that this day, God, but we also look forward to what you would use us to do in this life that we live here on earth. We thank you for the eternity that you've secured for us through Jesus's resurrection. And uh, we worship you this day in Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is, this is a letter that's written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Now, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a very serious man in his religion and in his pursuit of Judaism and the Mosaic law. He was so serious about it that when he looked at the Old Testament and the Mosaic law, and then he looked at Jesus, he just couldn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he believed that Jesus was a false Christ, somebody besmirching the name of of God, and he went then to crush the message of Jesus and the people who followed Jesus. That was what Paul was about. He really believed he would have, he staked his claim on Jesus not being God, Jesus not being the Messiah. Um, and so Jesus dies about 30 or 33 AD, depending upon which calendar you want to use. But he dies about 30 AD, and then roughly three years later, when Saul of Tarsus is uh, persecuting Jesus and Christians. He's on the road to Damascus and Jesus shows up. The risen Christ encounters Paul and he is changed, right? He sees the risen Lord Jesus and his life is turned upside down. Everything that he thought was right, he learns is wrong. Everything that he thought he was doing on behalf of God, he learns that he was doing in a way that was fighting God. And that's actually true for all of us. Each and every one of us is building a a castle, a fort. We're, we're all sort of building this place from which we're either with God or we're against God. Each and every one of us is doing that. You may not realize it, but you're building your life either with and for God or you're building your life against him. And we all position ourselves in this way. We decide we're either going to be unshakable for God or we decide we're going to be unshakable against God. There's, that's just what we're all doing. And Paul really thought that he was doing the right thing pursuing the Mosaic law. He really thought that he was building a fortress for God. And it turned out that Christ smashed that fortress. He tore it down and he taught Paul to build his life in a new way. Uh, and so roughly, roughly 20 years after that event, um, Paul's been on missionary journeys. He's done different things. He's planted churches. He goes from the greatest persecutor of the church to the greatest planter of churches. Um, and he writes this letter to a group of people in Corinth that are struggling with many things. One of them was, do we rise from the dead? Is there a resurrection? And so this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is really about that. Is there a resurrection? And if there is, what does it mean? If there isn't, what does that mean? And so he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. He says, now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. 
Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. That phrase fallen asleep is a word that is used of believers when they die. It's never used of unbelievers when they die. It's only used of believers when they die. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to show you some of the things that are true about Jesus from this passage. Okay, so Jesus died. He died a literal physical death in our place and for our sins. And that's what we talked about on Good Friday, that when Jesus went to the cross, he died as a substitution for you and I, for all of humanity. He went there as, as the Lamb of God to die on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of the sin that we've done to each other, the harm that, we, that we've done to one another, and the rebellion and harm that we've done to God. Jesus died in our place. He actually took the little fortress that we were building that was set up against God, pulled us out of it, jumped into it himself, and took the wrath of God that we deserved so that we could be forgiven and made free. And then he was buried. And uh, Josh read this earlier. He said, that's quite an observation, Kurt. This is what you do with a dead person. You bury them. Now, most crucifixion victims wouldn't have been buried. They'd have actually been just tossed in a grave, a mass grave, and they probably would have been consumed by wild animals. But what happens with Jesus is there are two people, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, actually has a grave that's never been used, and he goes and asks for the body of Jesus. They They get the body of Jesus. They wrap it in the tradition of the time, and they take Jesus, and they bury him in this new tomb, which actually fulfilled prophecy that was written some 700 years earlier. Okay, so Jesus is buried, but he does not stay dead. Three days later, there's a literal physical resurrection from the dead. Now, if your God is too small to raise someone from the dead, you don't have much of a God. And so you need to just understand that that, that if there is a God and he is real and he created everything out of nothing and he loves you and I and he's all powerful, then he can raise his son from the dead if he so chooses and he did choose to do that. He chose to do that because Jesus was worthy to be raised from the dead. He lived a sinless life. He, according to the foreordained plan of God, went to the cross and died for us, and God then rose him from the dead, defeating sin and death. And then he appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. Hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. There's actually more evidence, historical evidence, that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar lived. There's more historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But some of you are shaking your head. I can't go for this. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I struggle with it too. A dead person getting up and walking. Like not defibrillator or something, but he was dead in the ground for three days and then he rose up from the dead. That is outside of our understanding, unless you have an understanding of how powerful God is. But if you have an understanding of how powerful God is, this is well within his reach, especially when it's done to vindicate his own son and prove his own son to be the true savior and Messiah. But Jesus appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. At the end of that 40 days, he ascends into heaven and he commissions the church, those who are in Christ and have been saved by his blood and been given new life through his resurrection. He commissions them to then share this message, which is 
one of the things that we have as human choice. We have a choice to preach this message. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called us to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection and appearances. That he literally physically died 2,000 years ago. That he was buried in a grave and he literally physically rose from the dead, defeating sin and death by the power of God so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and made new. We receive this message. We inherit it from the account of another. I wasn't there. You weren't either. But we do have the scriptures recording what the eyewitnesses saw and how they walked with him and how they talked with him and what they ate with him and when they got to touch him and how his body interacted with reality. They got to do all of those things and that's recorded for us in the scriptures. So we receive it. But then you can do what you want to with receiving it. If you're receiving this message for the first time or you've heard it many times, you've done something with it. You're receiving it, but you could believe it in vain. And to believe in vain is to believe something rashly without due consideration or purpose. I think one of the ways we see this the most is in Christian households where children receive the information of the gospel. They maybe attend church for a decade or two. They're a part of a youth group. They go to camps and then they move away and they go to college and everybody tells them that their beliefs about Christianity is way off mark and there's no way those things could have happened and the morality that you, that you believe is actually a hateful morality and you need to let go of it and join the crowd, right? And what happens to people who have not built a foundation, that have not made their faith in Jesus Christ their own, is they're going to give in to that. They're not steadfast. They're not immovable because they have not made their faith their own. Uh, my great-grandma was, and ingra- my great-grandparents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. My parents are Christians. But it didn't become something of value in my life until I made it my own. And so we all have to make this decision our own. When you receive it, you need to add up the cost. You need to say, you know, if I, if I choose to follow Jesus, that means I'm not in control anymore. If I choose to follow Jesus, that means the voices in the culture around me that are telling me what the word of God says is wrong, I, get, I have to shut those out. Uh, it's not that I won't interact with the world around me, but I'm not going to let the world around me tell me what is truth. I'm going to depend upon the authority of scripture for that. I'm going to turn to the word of God for that. I'm going to trust in the person and work of Jesus and his spirit working through his prophets and priests and kings and different people throughout the ages to record what is true. I'm going to turn to the word of God for that. You have to consider what it costs you. And then you need to look at it from a stance of, of, this is also going to give me purpose. I'm not just going to believe in vain and go to church on Sunday and live however I want, you know, Monday through Saturday and then show up and pretend like everything's great. No, I'm going to incorporate the life of Christ into my everyday life so that I live different Monday through Saturday. So that I'm always in pursuit of Jesus Christ. And ultimately that's what it is. Is do you want to pursue a relationship with Jesus? Here's the message. He died for you. He was buried. He raised from the dead to give you life. He appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses. It happened. He loves you. He wants to save you. He did everything necessary to do so. Will you pursue him? What do you want to build your life on? And so if we build our life on Jesus, then we take our stand. We establish a position and reinforce it. My established position is as a child of God, secure because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But he purchased it for me with his blood and he rose from the dead to make me a new creation. That's my established position and I'm going to reinforce it. 
I'm going to reinforce it with God's word. I'm going to reinforce it by being a part of a a local church family so that we can do life together so that I'm not there out on my own. Uh, He tells us to put on the full armor of God and the full armor of God works best when I'm a part of a family. And so if you're living life as a solo Christian, I want you to know you're an easy target. You need to be a part of a family of God so that you're being strengthened, so that you're being supported, so that you're being grown up into the image of Christ through fellowship and his word and worship. We take our stance and we establish it and we reinforce it. And it's from that position that we're being saved. We continue to be rescued from sin day in and day out. It's not a one-time past action where, yeah, I raised my hand at the one service and I'm saved. No, I'm continuing to be saved. Every day of my life, God is saving me from sin because I live in this fallen body and within this body is the capacity and propensity for sin. It can and it wants to sin. And because of that, I need to be, I need to be saved each and every day through the life of Christ as the Spirit of God empowers me. I can never live a day on my own without sin. I will always sin if I choose to live on my own. But if I'm being saved by the life of Christ today, tomorrow, and for all eternity, then I will live a new way. And so that's what we're called to be as Christians. We're being saved. And then we hold to the message. It's literally to hold fast. It's almost as though there's a game of tug of war going on for your soul. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. What you think, what you feel, and the choices that you make. It's like there's a game of tug of war going on. And I'm going to hold fast to the end of the rope that Jesus is on. And, and the world is going to tug me the other way. The flesh is going to tug me the other way. The, the schemes of Satan are going to tug me the other way. But I'm holding fast, and Jesus is pulling and I'm holding fast with him and I engage my will and I engage my mind and I choose what I, uh, what I do with my emotions in line with his efforts, not my own. And so I'm holding fast to the message. I continue to follow Jesus. I'm living according to his ways. But then he goes further in this and he tells us we need the resurrection for some other reasons as well. Uh, the first one is that we need the resurrections is, is that if Jesus didn't rise, raise from the dead, then Christianity is a waste of time. If Jesus is just another nice moral teacher, if he's just a guy that has some, some rules for you to follow, then, you know, pick and choose which ones you like and add in what's culturally convenient, delete what isn't, and kind of do your own thing. If he didn't rise from the dead, who cares? You know, there's lots of people that had some nice teachings in the past. I'll pick and choose the ones I like and delete the ones I don't. But if he did rise from the dead, then every word that he said deserves very strict, thoughtful attention. Uh, He's deserving of that if he rose from the dead. Uh, But if he didn't rise from the dead, then we're still in our sins and our, our faith is useless. But because he did rise from the dead, he also guarantees our resurrection. See, this is a comprehensive view that Christianity gives us, is not only am I receiving life right now through the death of Jesus Christ, but I know in the life to come that I will be raised new into a new body that does not have sin, that will not know death, that doesn't get sore after a round of golf, right? Like, that just, it'll work better, and I won't be susceptible to sin, and, I, and I'm not going to have desires that I have to fight, but instead I'm going to be raised in the same type of body that Jesus Christ was given, and True Christians, we experience that new life now. Yes, we have the limitations of the flesh, but we experience that new life now as the Spirit moves through us. We need the resurrection. The resurrection also gives those in Christ a a final truth. There, There is a singular truth that has been crystallized, and the event 
that crystallized truth was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because when he rose from the dead, all of human history before him makes sense and all of human history after him makes sense. Without that, it's all just chance. It's all just brokenness. There's no opportunity for fulfillment, but because of the resurrection, we have a truth that we can stake our claim upon. And then those in Christ have much more to look forward to, as I've already said, because this life here on earth, it's just a vapor. Um, It it does not last very long. Um, It's meaningful, but when you look at it in the scope of eternity, we have so much more to come. Uh, And the body that we will receive upon Jesus's return, the resurrection bodies that he will give us will be incorruptible without death. And then Paul finishes and he says these words. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting or goad, the thing that pokes death forward is sin. And the force or power of sin is the law. Uh, This is an interesting statement because essentially what it's saying is if you think that Jesus is somebody giving you rules to keep and you follow Jesus as though he's giving you rules to keep, it's actually going to spur on sin and death. If my job as a follower of Jesus is to be a rule keeper, that's actually going to push sin forward in my life. It's actually going to cause me to sin more. By, by viewing my relationship with God that way. But if I view my relationship with God as someone that I trust, someone that I love, someone that's, that's cared for me in ways that I could never, uh, somebody that's bought a victory for me that I could never earn for myself, and I just long to be with him and live in his grace, then I'm going to experience freedom and life. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, here's the thing about the two approaches that most people have towards God. One is I'll get the rules right and he'll be happy with me. The other is I'm going to do whatever I want and hope it works out in the end. And that's essentially the two approaches that most people take. I'll, I'll follow the rules really closely and God will be happy with me and I'll earn something from him. Or I don't really know if I care that much. We'll see how it works out in the end. And the old phrase, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. If you try and keep the rules, you won't be saved. If you ignore the rules, you won't be saved. We need somebody to step in and fulfill what the law demanded for us. And that's what Christ did. He stepped in and he fulfilled what the law demanded for us and purchased for us a victory we could never earn for ourselves. Therefore, since Christ has done this for you, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so when we talk about Easter, this is a day to celebrate. This is a day to remember, right? When I look at Micah and how he plans music and it's like everything's over the top because it's the day that we remember the resurrection. And those are all wonderful things. But we should also be steadfast. We should also be holding fast, not being tugged by the flesh, not being tugged by the world, not being tugged by the schemes of the devil, but instead in unity with Christ inside the family of God saying, I'm steadfast, I'm immovable. I will not be swayed from Jesus Christ. I will not be pulled away from his life. I will not be pulled away from his love. I will not be pulled away from the truth of who he is. I am his and he is mine and the resurrection proves it and you can't do anything to change it and he has purchased it. And so I'm his. 
And I'm going to excel in his work, preaching and sharing his love and caring for the lost and reaching the world around me and inviting people into relationship with Jesus Christ and living an upright life and all the things that it is to be a part of the family of God and live in Jesus. And the reason I'm going to do that is because if I labor on my own, it will be in vain. It will have no eternal value. I could be the nicest, kindest, most generous, most welcoming. I could be, I could be just, you could love everything about me, but if I do it for my glory and not Jesus's, it has no eternal value. And so I choose to do what I do so that it's for his glory and then it has inestimable value. And so that's the motivation, the purpose of my life. I'm gonna be steadfast immovable, excelling in the Lord's work, building what lasts in eternity. I'll ask it one more time. What do you stake your life on? What would you say, I'm immovable in this area? If the answer isn't Jesus and his resurrection, you'll find yourself at odds with God. But he died for that so that you could be saved and he rose from the dead so that you could be a part of his family. I call on you to trust him and place your life in his hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to remember, the opportunity to proclaim the truth of what Jesus has done. Uh, God made flesh and walked among us, living a perfect life, dying on the cross as a substitute for my sins and the wrong that I've done to others and the wrong that I've done to you. We thank you for his death on the cross. We also thank you that he did not stay buried in that grave, but by your power, you raised your son from the dead, proving him to be the Messiah, proving him to be God in flesh, proving his death on the cross to be efficient in everything that we need to save us. Thank you that his resurrection gives us new life and that death no longer has any sting. Sin no longer has control over me. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ, longing to be steadfast and movable, always striving in your name and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.